Hello, everybody, and welcome to Getaway Day. I am Mason, he is Gautham, and today we have quite a packed conversation for you. Uh, we're going to start out with uh, this week in baseball, as always, quite a few... Oh, let me mute that. Um, we got quite a few big things that have happened this week, kind of excited to talk about. Uh, some great, some that personally make me very sad but you know what we'll get through it um i do have the chats now going across the bottom here so uh when if we reference those you're now able to read them uh let's see so yeah so we're gonna do this week in baseball uh the stat of the day um and then our main topic for today is minor league baseball we are now six games into the season so we feel it is a good time for us to break it down tell you who's good, who sucks, and we're just going to make a whole bunch of predictions. Just kidding, small sample sizes, we're not going to do that, we're not dumb. But we are going to break it down, kind of explain a little bit of the reorg that happened with minor league baseball, just briefly, and then just kind of give a deep dive into some of the guys to watch. Um, and just a whole bunch of, of fun stuff about minor league baseball. And then we're going to finish it out with the top five. Um so we are back to top fives this week. I'm going to save the, uh, the topic for here in a little bit and make it a surprise. All right. So, Gautham, this week, what happened? What did you enjoy? Uh, well, there was another no-hitter. Oh, there was actually two no-hitters this week. So they're pretty much like as common as the days of the week at this point. Yeah, I mean. John Means, Wade Miley. like I'm going to debut and have a no-hitter next week. I mean, to be honest, like I probably would have named 50 other pitchers before I named Wade Miley if you would ask me to name the next guy to throw no-hitters. Yeah, exactly. It, even on his own team. like I definitely would have gone with Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. Right. And then yeah. probably Lucas Sims before Wade Miley. <laughs> but, oh well. But, I mean, good for a, him. Not to disparage his accomplishment. I mean, it's, it's still awesome to throw a no-hitter, no but it does make you kind of wonder... Um, like what's going on is it the ball is it the lack of contact in the game but we also saw like seven no hitters back in 2012 with four of them being early in the season so maybe it's just some some random chance that we've seen four already this season plus the mad bum seven inning one yeah and i mean part of it is potentially that it's still kind of cold so the ball's not flying as far um, which this year we do have a uh, quote-unquote dead and ball, um, which has been shown so far to be flying about 15 less feet with higher exit velocity. So it's a little bit of an anomaly there. They haven't quite figured out exactly why that's happening. Um, I kind of touched on why from an engineering standpoint I think that's happening here a couple weeks ago. Um, but So I think they changed a little bit of the core, the thickness around the core, and it just makes it bouncier. But more uh uh drag air resistance um kind of keeping it from flying as far even though it's getting hit harder so with that happening balls are now dying at the track that would have been home runs last year and then so with the cold weather it tends to not fly as far anyway so we could be seeing them now we won't see another one for maybe the rest of the season who knows but but yeah, but uh, John Means actually deserves a little bit of uh, special credit there because his uh, his no no was kind of historic. 
So it was not a perfect game, but it was the most perfect, not perfect game that there could ever be. The only base runner that uh, that he saw that day, he actually struck out when the guy got on base. So he struck him out on a wild pitch, and the guy reached. So it goes in the scorebooks as a K, and a wild pitch. So that's the only thing that kept John Means from getting a perfect, uh, perfect game there. But. Yeah, I know a lot of people are trying to push back on the drop third strike rule personally i don't i i'm completely fine with the rule because i mean perfect game is defined as 27 up 27 down so i think uh this i mean it it wasn't that so i think we should not call it a perfect game well yeah and that and the fact that like it it makes sense for the drop third strike rule to be in effect because it's like kind of you've got to complete the play right yeah you got to complete the play and it's kind of deterring pitchers from throwing stuff really outside that's just really nasty intending to get someone to swing knowing that it's probably going to the backstop um so i don't know it's it's one of those that like yeah i i would almost find it or consider it cheating almost to say that intentionally throwing a wild pitch because you know that a guy like 29 or 2018 through 2020 Harrison Bader is going to reach for that low and away slider that's 400 feet from the plate. I, It almost seems like cheating if you're intentionally throwing at the backstop for that. So I, I think it's a good rule. There's, there's a bunch yep. of other rules I would rather pick apart in the MLB. Right. Which I think we'll touch on one here in a little bit, but yeah, um, no. But Means and Wade Miley did actually get the AL and NL Players of the Week this week, and I believe that John Means had the first AL Player of the Week for the Orioles since 1994. Whoa, that's shocking. Yeah. So they they're definitely a franchise that has struggled in the past. They uh. They were good there for a little bit in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Yep. But other than that, they've kind of just struggled. So, yeah. Let's see. Also this week, uh, the complete opposite of no-hitters. Albert Pujols, one of the game's greatest players of all time i think is a fair statement is it not yeah easily and and no question one of the top players to play in this generation yeah he was released by the angels this week in the final year of his 10 year 240 million dollar contract that's right yeah uh they signed him away from the cardinals for 240 million dollars over 10 years plus a 10-year 100 million dollar um personal services contract that goes into effect after he retires um which basically just says that he'll come back and help him at spring training and all that stuff and he won't go help another team like the cardinals so um but he was released uh i think he's got maybe what five more days before that is official um yeah He's in that, I guess he's technically in that DFA limbo, so got to wait for 
someone to either claim him, which is obviously not going to happen, and then he'll be released. Yeah. So it's but, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a really tough blow, especially for you as a Cardinals fan, because the yeah. timing of it is like really was kind of shocking, honestly, because it hadn't been done to this point because Pujols obviously hasn't been a super productive player on the field. He's very slow. He's not a great hitter or fielder at this point, but I don't think he's had a positive war season in like five seasons. Yeah, so. he he definitely did not live up to that contract. Um and the release has been coming for a while. It's just you wish the Angels had handled it in a different way. Maybe maybe if he had been released before the season it would have been a little bit better in my eyes. Yeah. So he's not had a positive war season since uh, 2016. Um, 2017, he was minus two. And then since then, he's been considerably better than minus two. But um, I don't know. And and it's hard to say that the Angels didn't get their value out of that contract. On the field, I agree 100%. But what Albert did for that franchise kind of just to revitalize their image and make them at least a relevant team even though they're not necessarily a good team i do think they got 240 million dollars of value out of them especially looking at the values of contracts now 240 million dollars over 10 years is kind of a steal by today's money so there and what albert has done in the community in la and all that with his foundation and trying to get fans to stay engaged with the Angels, I do think they got their money. And, I mean, Mike Trout has been their bread and butter as far as talent. Could it have gone better? Absolutely. But I wouldn't necessarily say they didn't get their value out of it. They didn't get it on the field, but they got it. So. Yeah. Uh, Last thing I'll say on Albert is that, like, we talked about nicknames maybe a month back, and – his nickname is like really was perfect for him for his time with the Cardinals, the machine as a guy that was just so consistent, putting up 300 batting averages, huge power numbers every single season. And honestly, if you showed me the first half and the second half of his career stats, you wouldn't even know it was the same player. Yeah. Well, and the, the thing that kind of uh, I realized and kind of concerns me for a different player is if you look at his first 10 seasons and you look at Mike Trout's first 10 seasons, they're pretty much to a T the exact same thing, which it speaks yeah, one for how yeah. good Albert was because everyone knows now how good Mike Trout is. But it's also saying that Mike Trout could do this. So Yeah, and that's a great point like about how even the players that are obviously the, the top players in the world always reach a point where they're not that great anymore we're seeing it now with uh joey Votto and miguel cabrera nearing the end of of their respective massive deals um yeah. really the only player that comes to mind that retired at the absolute peak of his ability was david ortiz and that's just like the outlier of the of the situation he was like incredible in 2016 yeah how, how was ripkin at the end of his career do you remember was he, he wasn't still? anywhere near his uh, his prime, so no, he was he just still playing kind of every day. The, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of those that it's crazy because like these guys can be so 
subpar um, for on-field talent for years. It kind of towards the end of their career. I think, uh, was it Victor Reyes was kind of the same way as well up in Detroit? Not Victor Reyes. Uh, oh, Victor uh, Martinez. Yeah. I mean, he was he's he shined pretty brightly during his peak and then kind of tailed off just like uh, many, many players have done over the years. Yeah. You, you said Miggy, and I was trying to remember what his name was. But, yeah, because him and Miggy were on the same team at kind of the same point in their career. Miggy just had a much longer contract. Um, no, what was I saying, though, before I went on that tangent? Uh, just talking about like how how great these players were in their prime. And then... Oh yeah, and then and then fan bases, fan bases. At a certain point, a player has done so much that uh, fans quit caring that it's detrimental for their team to have that player. I've been on Twitter, and I mean, obviously, most of my Twitter is Cardinals baseball. The other half of my Twitter feed is just baseball in general, but you see all the Cardinal stuff because that's about half, but you see all these people that are like, I know it doesn't make sense from a baseball standpoint. They start the tweet with that, and then they're like, but if Mo is smart, he will sign Albert for the league minimum to take the uh, bench spot, which Albert doesn't want a bench spot. I think we all know that. Let him take the bench spot of Matt Carpenter, which is a problem in and of itself because he's making a lot of money and would have to be DFA'd or traded. But no one's going to trade for him. So it'd be the same situation the other way. Or take it from a young outfielder like Austin Dean, who still has a lot to prove. He's not done very well off the bench, but you don't get very many at-bats. John Nagowski, who had a... um, Kind of an elite hit tool, but no other tools in the minors. He's on the bench. And then uh, uh, Justin Williams. um, Actually, Austin Dean's in the minors now. So it's Justin Williams, Matt Carpenter, John Nagowski, Andrew Kisner, who's actually the really good player and our backup catcher. So... But yeah, so you see all these fans that want this guy who, as I've pointed out, has not had a positive season as a hitter or defender in five years. And he means so much to that franchise that they do not care. They want him no matter what. So it's it's just crazy that that's a phenomena to me. Like, I, I love him. I've got an Albert collection. I love the guy doesn't make sense from a baseball standpoint yeah he really doesn't fit but yeah i definitely understand that uh sentiment towards like a a living legend yeah but it it's the same thing if yachty would have gone or wayno would have gone just for for that team those are the legends that are currently in the league you don't want them to go if you get the chance to get him back you want them anyway i could talk about albert all night and that could be our main topic um so i'll let you any last comments you've got there and then we'll uh we'll move on so uh yeah maybe we can we can do that when he goes into the hall of fame uh here in a half a decade i I will uh, since i have a habit of just randomly showing some of my uh, card collection on on stream here i will go ahead and show i do actually have the 2001 bowman um albert bgs9 which is uh, kind of the pride and joy of my collection right now. So 
That's his uh, pre-rookie. Bowman first card. So, go ahead and show that one. Um, let's see. All right, so now that we've gone, talked about no hitters, uh, the drop third strike rule, which is a dumb rule. Not a dumb rule. I can't remember Not what we said. Rule. Not, Not a, a dumb rule. People think it's a dumb rule. We don't think it's a dumb rule. There we go. Uh, Albert Pujols. Now we're going to switch back to what is a dumb rule, uh, which is the extra innings starting a runner on second base rule. Yeah, so um, been seeing this a whole bunch. Obviously, games go to extra innings. The runner starts on, on second base with no outs at the beginning of each half inning of extra innings. And I was at the game on on um, Wednesday, the Cubs game uh, with the Dodgers. They go to extra innings. And my initial thoughts on this rule are basically like, I don't like this rule because it promotes things like intentional walks and bunting and... Um, sack flies. To be, yeah, like sack flies. There's not a whole lot of action. It seems more like station to station, and that's encouraged. And it also doesn't allow the pitcher really any um, good chance to to get out of the inning because the probability of scoring a run when you have a runner on second and no outs is pretty high. Um, I think the rule would be a lot improved with just putting the runner on first base or maybe having the – the runner starting on second in a, in a later inning, like the twelfth inning or something. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. I was I was listening to another show today, um, and they were kind of talking about it with. Uh, I don't remember which game they were talking about specifically. Maybe the was it the Phillies Braves last night that went to twelve. There was a there was a Phillies Braves game on Saturday night that was just really crazy back Saturday. and forth. Okay, yeah. and then there was a Yankees game I think this weekend that did a similar-ish thing. Yep. Um, but they were talking about it, and it's like, yeah, the game is entirely different when you get to extra innings. Because, one, you have all these teams that are using their their main relievers to get to the ninth, even in no save, or non-save situations, because they're, they're trying to win in the bottom, so they don't want to give up runs in the top of the inning, which makes sense. But then you get to extra innings, and now all of a sudden you have a guy on second the team against you if they're um well and, and i'm i'm gonna lift these stats that i'm about to mention straight off their show that i watched earlier today so uh i guess uh i'll cite uh john boy uh talking baseball um i think it was the mariners and the rangers are four and oh in extra innings games uh the the Twins haven't won a game in extra innings, I believe. Yeah, so the Twins have not won a game in extra innings or seven inning games, but they're twelve and nine in nine inning games. Yet the Twins have the third worst record in baseball. So Twins can win in regulation; they can't win if they have the second inning or the second base extra inning rule, or not enough innings. I guess. I guess they score all their runs in the eighth and ninth. I I don't know. Um, but yeah, so the Mariners and the Rangers, the Rangers are one of the absolute worst teams in the league. They're four and zero in extra innings because they sit there and they play small ball. They'll bunt because they can't really hit extra base hits. They'll sack fly. 
if you hit two sack flies in a row, you've scored. And then these other teams have already used all their best relievers. So you don't have your strikeout guys in extra innings because you've already used them. So they were talking about how you almost have to start game planning for an entirely different game if you know that it's close and you get to the ninth and you don't know if you're going to have the lead. It's like you have to put in your kind of second-tier relievers in regulation and save your Roldis Chapmans, save your... um, trying to think what closers aren't hurt right now josh Hader. yeah you're josh haters you're devin williams you save them all for extras at that point because you want to strike out the guys when you have a man in scoring position to start but at the at the same time how can you save them because you need them potentially to get to extra innings so well it's, uh, it's a little bit of a conundrum there yeah and then for me it's it's the they're in the olden days, back in 2019, there was a perfectly good way to to resolve a tied baseball game after nine innings. That was play some more baseball. From my perspective, I don't really understand the intention of the rule. Besides, um, I I can I can answer this one. Shortening the the game and and preventing from very long pace of um, play. But but in my opinion, it doesn't fix the pace of play. Because when you put a runner on second base, the pitcher is immediately under extreme stress. So they're already working slower than they usually would be with no one on. They're working out of the stretch. They're taking extra time between pitches. That's what I saw on on the Cubs-Dodgers game on Wednesday. Uh, it honestly felt like really long. Um, the, the game took like forever because uh, the Dodgers scored in the top of the 10th. The Cubs scored in the bottom of the the 10th the Dodgers scored in the top of the 11th and then the Cubs ended up winning the game in the bottom of the 11th so it still took quite a bit of time so I I guess they weren't fast innings side note real quick on definition of pace of play can we agree that the definition of pace of play as MLB sees it is uh stupid and wrong and doesn't make any sense because Because they're saying that they're saying they're thinking game yeah, I mean, that's essentially what they're trying to do is shorten the length of the game, where the length of the game isn't the, the problem. Game as long as it's ever been. Yeah, and, and the length of the game isn't the problem. The length of the game is the same as an NFL game. The difference is that the uh, like high-intensity plays in the NFL are more frequent. So if you're trying to get higher-intensity plays in MLB more frequently, quit screwing with the length of the game let extra innings go as long as they go encourage base stealing which they're trying to now encourage base hits station to station without putting a guy on second base to start the extra innings there's a lot of things you could do to improve pace of play from an excitement and fan standpoint without just trying to shorten the length of the game. Yeah. And then uh, I guess I'll play devil's advocate to everything that I just said, is that being at that game was actually pretty exciting in extra innings because, you know, you're like on the edge of your seat. Or I was standing for most of the extra innings because it's a, like a really intense moment and uh, the game's really hanging in the balance. And you can't see it here, but I have the 
the win probability charts for the a couple of extra inning games and they're just bouncing up and down so really things can change very quickly and that is I guess kind of exciting are, are you sure you weren't just standing because you were behind one of the freaking poles what what's happening what's happening no I had a <laughs> I had a nice view it was really cold though so that that's might be why I was standing as well it could be you weren't jumping for joy you were jumping for survival but yep yeah um oh actually uh i do have one of the win probability charts here um yeah that is uh i don't have a way to share this on the stream so i can't show um yeah that is crazy though uh where'd you pull these from so if people are curious they can look them up yeah you can check out the win probability charts for like any game that's going on or finished at fangrass Alright. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I think that pretty well covers my my personal opinion on the second base rule. I I personally don't like it just cause it I think there's better ways to improve excitement of extra innings. And I, I feel like that almost changes the game too much. So Yeah. I'm with you there. And and maybe you're right, putting them on first might alleviate that. I don't know. But just yeah. having a man on first. I just feel like first. they went they went into it like a little bit too fast without really thinking about some of the ramifications. Well, and I think uh you, me and uh our buddy Matthew, who is actually I believe it's next week, right? Yeah, so next yeah. week, Matthew's actually going to be guest hosting with me because um, Gautam decided he hates me. Um, it can It's the only explanation. Uh, yeah, not like I'm going on vacation or anything like that. Oh, yeah, not at all. Um, but, yeah, so uh, you, me, and Matthew were talking uh, after a AAA game that we went to because um, there was a minor league game that right after this had been implemented in the minors – it happened like that day um and we were looking and I, I think we started questioning like well there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens what happens if there's a double no hitter going into extra innings and then there's like a stolen base and then a um a uh, pass ball and runner scores from second without there being anything at all that would ruin the no hitter or the perfect game yeah, there could technically be a perfect game that you lost now with a couple sacrifice flies in the 10th inning. Yeah, and and it's like there's – it just doesn't seem right. I don't know. There, there's a lot of things that haven't happened yet that at some point, because the way baseball works, will happen to somebody. I doubt there's going to be double perfect games, but there – you never know there could be a perfect game that's lost by somebody so or a no hitter that's lost by somebody although i actually now i'm curious i want to look up no hitter losses because it's got to have happened yeah it definitely has probably back in the dead ball era we are in the dead ball era now no the original one yeah all right. 
All right. Uh, how about we uh, skip over the stat of the week this week? Because I really want to get into this minor league stuff. All right. Let's do it. No stat of the think, week for you guys. I think any conversation about the minor leagues has to start with Wander Franco. What do you think? Wrong. Bobby Witt. Okay. Bobby Witt's a good one, too. I was going to say, we could sit here and fight over who should be the most hype prospect. Granted, Wander does win fair and square in every every single discussion, always, period. <laughs> All right. Uh, just yeah. for, for, were you going to go through his prospect grades real quick or at all? Uh, no. All right. I, so I, I will preface this. Uh, I'll let you speak, but I'm going to read through his prospect grades real quick, just so people can understand just how good this kid is before you dive into it. So this is on the 20 to 80 grading scale. I think 50 is league average above a 50 is, um, obviously above average, um, and usually if you hit a 60 in any grade, that's really good as far as yeah. the prospect is concerned. Well, Wander Franco grades out in an eight, a perfect 80 hit tool, a 55 run, a 50 field, a 60 power, a 55 arm for an overall of 70. So basically according to prospect grading, which obviously take that with a grain of salt because he's not played in the majors period he could very easily be a superstar player. I I don't even, I I would have to look up Mike Trout's prospect grades, but I'm not sure he even graded out as a 70. No, I mean, well, I'm going to check my notes here, but he's the most hyped prospect since some guy named Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And he's like on the same level basically as him. My boy, Vladdy. Yeah. Should I pull out the, should I pull out the card? you want go for it i'll do it i'll be just talking about wander over here so do it he got his first taste of triple a this week he's not played above the a ball level and that's vladdy in his first few games at triple a he's tripled he's homered twice he's stolen a base um He's pretty much doing it all, and he's 20 years old. That's the thing that people forget about this guy. Oh, shoot. That is all sorts of knocked out of focus. How do I fix that? Uh, Hold on. Give me just a minute. That did not fix it. Interesting. Yeah, no. uh, Wander, though, is, is an absolute beast. Um... Uh, he's one of those guys that um, even last year during the lost season, like just people were so hyped on him that it, it's crazy. Um, so obviously I'm big into card collecting um, and Wander is like the premier guy that you can get right now. I think his uh, card values are insane and he's not even debuted in the majors. He, uh, I think his 20, let's see, what is it? His 2019 Bowman first mega box refractor PSA 10, which that's a lot of words. Um, I think is going for almost $400 right now. And that's a relatively common card. His, uh, autograph cards are going for well in the thousands. Um, 
there well, I think his base autos are probably in the high hundreds and his his numbered um autos are in the thousands but like Wander is that insane of a prospect and then he's he's been showing spring training I think his prices like tripled at one point um I'm actually going to this is going to look weird for a minute. I'm going to like delete my camera and just add it back in. So give me a minute. Um, you, you could keep talking. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's probably not going to be in triple a very long because the Rays could really use his help. Um, I know he played some second base over the weekend. He's, a, a primarily a shortstop, but I guess depending on how they see Willie Adamas, he could be taking over the shortstop or second base spot pretty soon. And um, that's going to be huge for the Rays because the Rays have a whole bunch of um, like solid players, but they don't really have that star player that can really make the big difference for them. Yeah. And so would the plan for him be to come up and replace Willie Adamas at short? And then would Willie move to second? Because that's where Austin Meadows plays, right? So, like, uh, what Austin would happen? an outfielder, but, um, yeah, th- that remains uh, unclear at this point. We don't know if they see him as a guy that would jump between second and short, but it, it kind of makes more sense to just stick Wander at one spot, whether it's second or short, and, and just have him play there and not have to worry about moving around like they have all their other guys do. Yeah. I had another thought on Wander, and now I don't remember what it was. Stupid camera distracted me. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess with Wander though, he's he's one prospect that is kind of this mega ultra. Everybody at this point knows his name, but he's certainly not the only guy who is incredibly hyped up right now. Um. There, there's, I mean, the entire top 100 is just uh, probably the most stacked that I've ever seen it as far as guys still with prospect status that have a lot of very public hype, right? Yeah, hype is really building, and even without the minor leagues last year, I feel like there's been more talk about prospects than I've ever seen at any other time in the past. Um, another one of those guys really on the precipice i guess of the of the big leagues now is jared kelenic um of the mariners he also started off really hot at triple a and he needs to be up this week to be honest there's no reason for him to be spending any more time down below especially when the mariners are putting an outfield of guys like taylor trammell and um you know, other I mean, not great so players. Like I think Jose Marmalejos plays left a lot, right? Yeah, and he's not great. They got no. like Sam Haggerty. Hanniger's been fine, but I could see him being a, a trade chip. And then this. Kyle Lewis in center. Yeah. Who I after his rookie of the year season last year, even if he's only kind of decent at best this year, I think he's locked in at least one full season at center. Yeah. 
So they'll definitely give him a give him his fair shot. So. Yeah, but no, I agree with you there. I think Hanniger is probably a pretty decent trade chip for them. Him and uh, Kyle, Se- yeah, him and Kyle Seager. Make sure I got the right brother there. Um, they'll probably be on on their way out at the trade deadline. And guys like um, Kalanick, uh will be up in their place, and we'll see what happens. And, I mean, Kalanick has also got a little bit of a uh, – not a history, but a little bit of a controversy around him. Um, in the in the offseason, I think it was maybe February 5th, the uh, former president and CEO of the Mariners was talking to a uh, – Knights of Columbus or a Masonic Lodge. He was talking to like a Rotary Club, I think. Rotary Club. That's what it was. He was talking to the Rotary Club of uh, Seattle. And they were asking really vague questions about the team. Like, are we going to be good this year? And he was giving them very detailed information about how Jared Kalanick won't be up until after the service time deadline because uh, – or he'll they be offered up. him a big long-term contract, and he said no, so that's why he'd be down to start. And yep. basically detailing exactly how they were going to manipulate his service time. Exactly. And he was not the only person that they did that with. They did that with Logan Gilbert, who is a right-handed pitcher, who is uh, the number 28 prospect in baseball. Um, they said that he would be up pretty close after the service time deadline, which has already passed, to be fair, and... It's not happened, but that guy resigned, and it's now new people, and they can't pull him up right at the service time deadline then because it's public that they're doing service time manipulation, at which point the player has a very good chance of winning and a, uh, um, not arbitration, what's the other word? A grievance. A grievance, grievance there we go. Filed, yeah. Yeah, and so they would end up becoming uh, basically super twos, and so they would only have to play six years before becoming free agents, and so you lose an entire year of service time. Um, And so there's a lot of issues there. Um, I guess while we're on Mariners prospects, though, they have uh, another guy, or do you want to wait on him? We can go for it. Yeah, so they have another guy who is potentially the best prospect's out of all the guys they've had recently, out of, out of uh, Evan White. Did I get the right White? Yeah. Yeah, Evan White. I don't White, think he's quite on Kelnick's level, but he's definitely a really hyped-up prospect. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, he's a yeah. 20-year-old outfielder. And um, the thing that made me kind of, like, remember that is that he was assigned to, to single A, and this guy's, in some places, I think MLB.com has him as their, what, number five prospect? or He's definitely a top five prospect, so number five, he's got a yeah. lot of buzz right now, but we have to remember that he is only 20 years old, and he hasn't had a whole lot of experience, so we really shouldn't be expecting him to break into the big leagues this year, but hopefully next year. Yeah, so, so Jared Kalanick is the number four. And Julio Rodriguez is the number five. And Kalanick is starting at AAA and obviously and expected to come up pretty much any day now. He'll be in the majors. Julio, they're actually not projecting until 2022. So, excuse me. Yeah, but no, he he's also a, a really good young player. And uh, he also 
had some comments made about him by that uh, former president of the Mariners that were really unsavory and incorrect, I think, based on everything yeah. I've heard. But Not a great guy to have leading your organization. And he had been there for no. you know almost two decades. It's not a great look for, for their franchise. Hopefully they have better people in charge in the future. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with uh, all their prospects now that uh, that kind of came out and they've got new leadership now because they do have to be careful with the optics of what they do. Um, whether they bring Kalanick up and he is kind of okay at best if they send him back down, then who knows. But now I think they're at the point where they could pull him up at any time and really not have an issue. Um, in fact, from an optic standpoint, they're probably better to pull him up now. Give him Marmalejos' job out and left. Keep Marmalejos as a bench or DH. Rotate him with Mitch White at first occasionally because that's his natural position. And give Kalanick the everyday left field job or right field job. Put Hanniger in left. I don't know. There's a lot of things you could do. Yeah, I, I do expect him to be up very shortly, even before Wander, because the Rays have typically been really conservative with their call-ups. So I could see him staying down for maybe a month or, or so and then Kelnick being here here in the next couple weeks, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, and then the other kind of uber prospect that um, – so, so there's a lot of guys that are, like, really good, really high prospects. Uh, if you're into baseball cards and you're looking at some of the guys drafted recently or signed recently, you're going to see the number one overall uh, draft picks in Adley Rutschman of 2019, uh, catcher for the Orioles, uh, or Spencer Torkelson, uh, first third baseman for Detroit, the 2020 uh, number one draft pick. Those guys have insane hype. They were drafted out of college. Um and so they'll be ready sooner than later, probably next year. Probably next year for both of them, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because, I mean, with the lost season, they didn't really get – Adley didn't get any playing time other than at the alternate site, which wasn't ideal. I think that's probably one of the biggest, the biggest things with COVID is – it's probably stunted a lot of growth for a lot of prospects, right? Yeah, no question about it. I think uh, this this analogy I'm about to draw will resonate with you. So we're, we're both engineers, and we were in college. We used to do tons of math homework and engineering homework and all that. Um, we were learning a lot of stuff, but ultimately we learned the most when we were actually doing our jobs. And we're actually able to apply some of the things we learned and, you know, be tested in the actual profession that we do. And it's the same way for baseball players. They did tons of training. They take t tons of batting practice, fielding practice, whatever. But ultimately, they're not going to become that much better at baseball without playing baseball games. Yeah, which is kind of the reason why this is like the one sport that doesn't really have practice. Yeah. You just play every day. Like, that's exactly. it. It's it's the best way to practice the game is to play the game. It's like if you're playing darts, you're not going to sit there and do, like, push-ups. You're going to 
<laughs> you're going to throw darts. You're going to practice your aim. It's kind of the same thing. But, yeah, so that, and, that entire and so, like, the alternate season, site, I'm so glad the alternate site is done for and I don't have to read any more of those transactions, like option to the alternate site, recall from the alternate site. So we'll have minor league baseball all season long and motions, demotions, all that. Yeah. Which um, I'll I'll finish my thought that I started and then go to this new thought that I have. I I apologize. I talk in round. I always come back to what I was talking about before. Might take me a while to get there. I will get there. Um, so the other like really 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 high prospect is Bobby Witt Jr. Um, so as I said, Adley Torque, they were drafted out of college you kind of knew what you were going to get with those guys, at least for the most part. Um, they're obviously not major league ready, but they're close. Two, three years in the minors max. And they're probably going to see major league playing time. But you draft a guy out of high school, and it's kind of a crapshoot on if he's going to pan out. I mean, how many like first-round high school draft picks can you think of? That Well, I mean, that's kind of a loaded question because it's kind of hard to remember high school draft picks in baseball. But uh, how many have there been that have just not panned out? Cause, yeah, there's been tons of uh, high school players, especially pitchers that did not pan out yeah. from the early rounds. I mean, Billy Bean is kind of a really good example of that. The uh, now GM of the A's, the, the money ball guy for anyone who's seen the movie. Um, he was drafted out of high school, and he was this really big prospect, and then he just didn't pan out. Um. Bobby Witt is kind of that, except Bobby Witt Jr., his his dad was a pitcher for a whole bunch of teams. I think maybe five or six teams in the majors throughout his career. I think he spent a lot of it in Texas. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Bobby Witt is a 19-year-old shortstop in the Kansas City Royals organization, and he's debuting at double-A. Um, and in spring training, he was impressive. He was hitting, granted, spring is when major league pitchers are not necessarily locked in, but he was hitting monster dingers. Yeah, it was to the point where they were um, legitimately debating whether they would put him on the opening day roster. I don't know if that was true or not, but the fact that it was part of the discussion was pretty impressive for a guy that's, what, he played maybe 30 games in 2019 after he got drafted. Yeah, and then he played at the alternate site last year. Yep. And other than that, I mean, he's not seen any playing time. So I think spring he will is... ultimately be up, I think, maybe later in the season, maybe like August or September, but I think we'll see Bobby Witt this year. Yeah, I, I do think as far as prospect status and, and just the skill level at such a young age, he's very much a Bryce Harper type player. Cause... Yeah, and, and one other thing I'll add is, if the Royals keep up their good play, they're they're on a little bit of a losing streak right now. But if they keep winning and they feel like he could be the difference for them late in the season, there's no reason to to not do it. And the Royals, on the other hand, of the Rays are not a team that participates in service time manipulation. They're more than willing to promote their prospects when they're ready. Yeah. Wait. So hold, hold on. You you were saying the the Royals don't do service time yeah i'm saying the royals are the opposite of the rays okay okay just making sure i it took me a minute 
Yeah, no, the so the Royals, I think last year, um, Brady Singer was kind of their their big prospect that um, I think they was he on the opening day roster? Like he wasn't a, he wasn't the opening day starter, but was he on the opening day roster? Yeah, yeah, he was in the shortened season. He did make their opening day rotation. So that was pretty surprising to a lot of people, but he seemed ready and he kind of held his own in his first taste of the big league. Yeah, and I mean, now I think he's basically their ace already, isn't he? I mean, they've got who, Mike Miner? Do they have Monty? Uh, No, they've got Danny Duffy having a resurgent season. Uh, Brad Keller's been awful. Singer's been okay, and I think he got hurt recently, but... He's still got a bright future for sure, and and now Daniel Lynch got his first shot at it this week. He got roughed up in his second start, but his his first start was pretty like. good though, right? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, the Royals are that franchise impresses me. So, I mean, the Cardinals are that that franchise that always have prospects coming up, and they always seem to be good, and and people just accept that. And the Royals are not always good. They're far from it. They're they're good for a short period of time every now and again. But every now and again is on a pretty regular interval at this point. I mean it's what, seven, eight years? They'll they'll get hot for a little bit. They'll have a couple prospects and they always seem to have just these good these good young prospects that come up and they make an impact. They had I think Alex Gordon was kind of that that type of player, Mike Mustakis, Eric Hosmer. Um, now they've got, uh, I mean, Adalberto Mondesi was kind of between. Yeah, he was between the World World Series teams and now. But yeah. I think the core that they're going to build now could potentially be better than the one that they had back in the World Series days. Yeah, I Especially think so Especially because it's built around pitching, I think. Um, I think they have some really strong pitchers aside from the ones that are already in the big leagues or close because they've got Asa Lacey who they drafted last year. Yeah. He was the number five overall pick, I think. Yeah. He was a top pick for sure. He was the first pitcher after Max Meyer of the Marlins. I know that. Yeah. He was, he was fourth or fifth, I think. Yeah. Uh, let's see. They've got Jackson Cower as well another pitcher so their top 100 prospects are number seven bobby witt jr number 24 daniel lynch number 25 asa lacy um they've got i think they've got more in the top 100 or not apparently not uh yeah, Jackson Cower, Kyle Isbell, who has already debuted, right? Yep. Uh, he's an outfielder. I, is, is he still up, or was he just kind of a flash in the pan? I believe he got up? injured early on. Okay. Um, I mean, that's that's really all the, the big prospects they have, but then they have a bunch of other guys in here that some of them I've, are um, guys that, I've heard of a couple times, and I mean, as far as prospects go, a lot of them that aren't kind of the premier guys, you've heard of them a few times and know nothing about them. I think uh, 
Lucius Fox, uh, the shortstop prospect, is is one of those guys for me at least. But for some reason, it seems like Kansas City always has kind of those lower top thirty prospects that always pan out. So I don't know. I I'm excited to watch them because they they did start out hot, and so be curious to see if they can regain that form. Um, and get back to winning. Uh, oh, so yeah, so I guess the the other thought that I was starting to have, um, so obviously with the lost 2020 season, things are probably different than they were in 2019, and Major League Baseball decided to do a huge blow up to Minor League Baseball, um, and so there's there's been a whole bunch of different conversations, and we could have probably three different episodes on like everything that went into to this. Um, but minor league ball players don't get paid enough to live. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff like that. They're they're traveling for half the year, and then they make like what fifteen k a year or something for playing baseball. Yeah, way too little. Yeah. And so uh, there's been a whole bunch of negotiations between the MLBPA and um, who doesn't actually represent minor league ballplayers, but they have been fighting a little bit. And then minor league ballplayers have been fighting the MLB on trying to increase salaries for minor league players. And teams agreed that they would do that if there were fewer teams to staff. So... Major League Baseball blew up everything that everyone knew about minor league baseball, where there was uh, rookie ball, low A, high A, double A, triple A, um, a couple of instructional leagues. Uh, basically, every team had probably seven or six or seven minor league teams, plus their Arizona Fall League teams. Is that seem about right so there was just this obscene number of teams and they decided that they were going to cut that down in order to increase payroll for minor league players so now there's four teams for every every franchise there is low a high a double a triple a and then they still have the arizona fall league they still have their dominican summer league teams whatever um but they've cut down on full season um, American uh, minor league teams to four. So they've done a lot of rearranging of which teams are with which or which minor league teams are with which franchise um, kind of locations of what's going to be our triple A, what's going to be our double A, what's going to be high and low A. And they flip flopped a whole bunch of stuff. So, so that's kind of, a big thing here as well especially with that lost 2020 season i think that kind of for a lot of casual fans just kind of went right by them because they they didn't really know that it was happening and then minor league baseball didn't happen at all so i don't know um but that being said i i think that there's a lot of teams that are using that um for their development of players. Um, some of their teams, uh, actually a lot of their minor league teams are a lot closer to their home uh, for the major league club. 
than they had been in the past. I know with the Cardinals, for instance, um, they had uh, Memphis, uh, Springfield, Missouri, and then Palm Beach, uh, Florida was their high A, and then Peoria, Illinois was their low A, and they've started rearranging it. So basically, the closer you get to the majors, the closer you get to the home of the franchise. And there's teams that are using that specifically to place their prospects, their kind of more hyped prospects, to get them physically closer to the club uh, for scouting, for uh, kind of travel. If they do bump them up, it's kind of less taxing on the player. So I, I do know that that's kind of happening, and I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I do know that there are some really strange affiliate assignments though where they're not anywhere close geographically to their big league club beloit wisconsin to miami yeah things like that so that's a little bit of a challenge especially is that triple a by any chance no that's low a okay so um, that's a little bit better because you think... you really want your triple a to be close by so you can get those guys there as fast as possible If I remember right, there's Rochester. Um, I want to say it's Rochester, New York. The Rochester Red Wings, I think, used to be. I think no, they used to be the Tigers, right? Uh, yeah, I think they used to be the Tigers. It looks like this year they've actually become the Nationals AAA affiliate. So it's considerably closer than it used to be. Um but yeah, like I said, a lot of teams kind of switched. So there's going to be teams that have names that uh, kind of go with a major league club that now all of a sudden they're not with that major league club. Um, I don't think the Red Sox fit that. Um, I don't think any of their affiliates fit that mold, but I know like a lot of their affiliates are like the Aqua Sox and um, I think they have another one that's, yeah, the Worcester Red Sox. And so they've, if any of those move, it, it becomes kind of a weird thing where you've got a, a club that sounds like it would be with X MLB franchise, and now all of a sudden it's not. Like the, the Rochester Red Wings sounds like it would be Detroit Red Wings, but now all of a sudden it's Washington. So, yeah, definitely don't take any uh, team for granted anymore. If, uh, if you're thinking of a minor league club and trying to figure out what team it's with, look it up. Pretty much the only ones that you can assume are correct are the Memphis Redbirds, the Iowa Cubs, the uh, Springfield Cardinals, and the Nashville Sounds, I believe, are still with Cincinnati. Other than that, I don't know. I know Round Rock is no longer with Houston, and that was kind of like their... That's like the team that I always thought of was with Houston. Yeah, that must be a little strange for especially the people in those communities that watching their favorite teams uh minor league systems and now they're like all the players from a different organization completely it's a little weird yeah so um yeah so so that's what i wanted to touch on there with uh with the reorg of minor league baseball i think the kind of the last things that um last thing i wanted to kind of touch on here is uh there's really no prospects that people don't know about anymore kind of the days of having guys like um oh uh, 
I can't even think of a good example. The first examples that are coming to my head are uh, like Tommy Edmond, Nick Maton, guys like that that didn't crack any of the top lists for even for the club. Like they weren't top thirty. Then all of a sudden they become these everyday players. Nick Maton is very much not an everyday player yet. He's trying. He's uh, he's still really young. I think drafted out of uh, Lincoln Land Community College in Springfield back in twenty. What was that? We were looking it up the other day. Twenty seventeen. Um, he debuted with the Phillies this year because there were some injuries to Scott Kingery and a couple other infielders. So he came up and he went on a tear. Um, if he sticks, um, or like guys like Tommy Edmond, where they weren't prospects at all, like really, as far as anyone being concerned about or not concerned, but anyone thinking that they might pan out to be these everyday starters. And then all of a sudden they do. The day of that is kind of gone isn't it? Uh, I really hope not because that's some of the most fun stories that can come out of baseball. And we've still seen it even this year. And I hope it continues with guys like your mean Mercedes, um, Adelis Garcia. They're having like really great seasons and they were basically no name prospects. So Adelis Garcia was not necessarily a no-name prospect. I think he was a top 10 with the Cardinals. It's just so far separated from that at this point. And I know you mean Mercedes was in a couple different organizations. So it's a guy that had been heard of, but he's bounced around. But the day of these guys that are like just drafted or kind of low-level prospects that people don't really know about, kind of flying under the radar. Like for me, Dylan Carlson was, excuse me, Dylan Carlson was even that for me because I didn't know about him until about a year and a half, two years ago. But he was drafted back in 2016. So it's like these guys, that they they were good players, but not necessarily seen as being a, a star kind of potential face of franchise, whether they pan out to be face of franchise or not. But I kind of think that day is kind of gone though it's like you're still gonna have the guys that come up late like your tommy fams your jose martinez your uh jeremy hazelraker love that guy <laughs> you need to start getting non-cardinals references i'll work on that for next week but yeah i don't know it's it, it's almost like uh, card collecting is kind of ruined that though because every single player has had any type of advanced stat that they possibly have available for them at high school or college picked apart by not just major league scouts but by me by you yeah. by I mean any uh, any card collector or fantasy player they know all the prospects. There's no one that you're going to uncover, basically, um, yeah. to buy. Yeah, like, uh, you're in that that league that you've got. Wait, what's that big league you're in? Yeah, I'm in a keeper league with 40 uh, roster spots, auto new, and um, always, like, the top prospects are, are taken in that league, and you can't really find them for yourself. Yeah, so... I don't know. It's 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 crazy though. Just there's there's no surprises anymore. You'll see guys flame out absolutely, 
But... Yeah, and that's the other thing. There's so much expectation for prospects these days to be the next um, big thing, and that's why they're they're so um, pursued in, in like the card field. I guess everyone's looking for the next Mike Trout card, or the next Ronald Acuna or Juan Soto, but what people don't realize is those guys are the exceptions and most prospects are going to be, you know, solid baseball players, solid big leaguers, but they're not going to be stars. And and the thing that is kind of weird to me about the cards is that why are these prospects that have barely played um, are, are having their cards go for more than current MLB stars? It, I don't know, but it's worked out for me so far, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> Yeah, it's just the the way it works, and and people are dreaming on potential, and and that's that's really the fun of prospecting, right? It's yeah, it's looking towards the future and seeing this guy's got these talents, and hopefully one day he's going to be a huge thing. Yeah, and and then even I mean the guys that are like obscenely high graded, like Wander Franco grading out at a seventy overall, like that. That's kind of hard to not live up to it, honestly, because when when you're showing that insane of a, a skill at even the lower levels, like it may not translate to be exactly what people want it to at the majors, but you're still going to be a productive player at that point. Having an 80-grade hit tool, you're probably going to be at least average in the majors. So like guys like that are obvious. It's guys like your... Uh, Daniel Cabrera, second round pick for the uh, Tigers last year. He's, I think, maybe the number seven prospect in the Tigers organization. Those are the guys that you're sitting there like, is he going to pan out? Is he not? He grades out at like a 55, a 60, somewhere in there. It's like he could be good or he could just be an average player or slightly worse than average whenever it comes out. Because I think Harrison Bader, for example, was the top prospect in the Cardinals organization and ask any Cardinals fan that's not named me. And they're very disappointed with Harrison Bader. He can't hit great fielder. Can't hit. That's all they'll tell you. Fans are disappointed by prospects a lot because they always have very high expectations for what they're going to do immediately. And that's, um, not great, I guess. Yeah. Well, the best way to think about the prospect. Well, and even with Harrison Bader, that's exactly the point. Because this year, granted, he's not been back from injury for very long. It's been a week, week and a half. But so far, it looks like something has changed between 2020 Bader and 2021 Bader. He's laying off low and away sliders. He's patient in the box. He looks comfortable. That's not something that he had even last year. Kid's only four years into his career. He was the number one prospect in the Cardinals organization. He could very well end up being an above-average hitter. And right now, he's hitting righties and lefties. Granted, it's very short, very short or small sample size here. And Harrison Bader does have three years of not being able to hit righties. So could I end up eating my words next week? Yes, absolutely. But it looks like he's developing further as a major leaguer. And that's what people tend to forget with prospects is they're not done developing when they hit the major leagues. Yeah. Unless you're uh, Ronald Acuna, then you come up from day one and you immediately start hitting And And even with him, he's, he's showing improvement here in his uh, third, third season. 
Yeah. So, and Vladdy and Soto, they did the same thing. I mean, Vladdy didn't have any power at all. He His hit wasn't quite as good as people expected. He was striking out more. And then look at him now. He was arguably like top five MVP of April as far as hitters. Like give a guy a year to get comfortable at a level and then see what happens. But don't don't let Wander Franco strike out in his first at bat in the majors and then just sell his card immediately. Probably hold on to that one a bit. So Alright. Um do you have any last uh, comments there? If not, I think we should probably switch on to top five. Yeah, go for it. All right. So today's top five, since we are on the topic of the minor leagues, I've decided to go ahead and break down some of the uh, or the top five team names of the now 120 minor league teams. So. A lot easier to come up with a list because there are considerably fewer teams. That being said, there's still some pretty great team names here. Uh, Gotham has not seen these yet. This will be a live reaction from him. Uh, go ahead and exaggerate your facial expressions for the camera. Exactly, that's what I'm looking for here. At number five, do you want me to unveil the name or the logo first? Because I've got both. Uh, give me the name, I guess. Okay. At number five, we have the Montgomery Biscuits. Here is their logo. I, I don't know. For some reason, I must have been hungry when I made this list, but I just think it's funny that they went with the Biscuits. It's been the Biscuits for years. This has been a, I think they might be a AAA team. Let me double check that. Um, they, if my internet loads... They are the double-A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. It has been the Montgomery Biscuits for years. They actually changed their mascot or their, their logo last year, so it used to be an egg in its mouth and not two pieces of bacon. Um, and now it's two <laughs> pieces of bacon, and what's not to love about that? So, I mean, the only thing we need to be sad about is that Wander Franco skipped double-A, so he never got to be a biscuit. Why'd you have to tell me that? Did you? I mean, did you have to I'm ruin just, my? I, I'm pretty sure you're the one that broke the news to me that Albert got released. It's either you or Matthew, uh, and now you're telling me Wander didn't play for the Biscuits. What is wrong yeah, with you? Yeah, sorry, I was just feeling some emotion, so I had to let that out. <sighs> All right, number four, we have the Richmond Flying Squirrels. This one was hard for me because I have a very, very difficult relationship with squirrels. Um, <laughs> Gautham knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but, oh, here's their logo. Um, I don't know. It just, if you look at all the minor league names, there's, there's a lot of teams that are named things like the, uh, the Altoona Curve, the, uh, the Bowie Bay Sox, the, the Marauders, the Cyclones, the Bisons, all kind of normal names. And not many people think of flying squirrels. And I, it just, I don't know. It, it stood out to me. It was just kind of one of those random names. Um, but it's certainly not the best one on this list. Uh, Gary, do you have any comments on the Flying Squirrels? If not, I'll... Uh, go ahead. All Solid right. name. Number three, we have the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Oh, yeah. That that was going to be my pick. Was it really? Yeah. 
for number one or for number three? Uh, just no number. Just one that I was going to mention if you didn't men- mention it. Oh, yeah. So the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, I just, I, I don't know who they're for. I don't know anything about them. I literally the just Mets looked at the name. A. Mets double A? All right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. the. So uh, the the biggest thing that stood out to me is I figured they would have a P in Binghamton. So I thought it was Binghampton with a P, and it was not, and it threw me off. That was my biggest surprise there. Um, n- number two, I actually did have to ask for an opinion from an outside source that is not affiliated with any sort of baseball team. They don't like baseball at all. I asked them to give me which one was two and which one was three. So this is their choice, not so much mine. Number two is the Amarillo Sod Poodles. Don't know what a Sod Poodle is. I assumed it was an armadillo. And I don't think I'm right. Uh, I thought maybe it's a prairie dog. I also don't think I'm right about that. No idea what it is. But the name is laughable at best. Thoughts? I mean, I'm seeing a theme of uh, of animals that are being described in some way. And uh, biscuits. Yeah, yeah. So biscuits was 100%. I was hungry. Um, uh, I'm sure you probably know what my number one is, mostly because I've been talking about it for the last, like, two weeks. But yep, uh, I know. Yeah. Go for it. Number one is the Rocket City Trash Pandas. I love this logo. It is probably the greatest thing I have ever seen. Um, so I'm trying to think of what the team's name used to be because it was so it's a it's the Angels Double A affiliate. It's in Alabama. It's the it's. It's the town that literally builds rockets for NASA and now SpaceX, and I can't think of what the town is called. It's not Mobile, right? Yeah, it is. Oh, it is Mobile? They used to be Mobile uh, Bay Bears. Oh, yeah, which is a considerably less cool name. But this Trash Pandas logo with the raccoon in the trash can that is taken off, I just, I love that. I'm going to get a shirt for the Trash Pandas. I've been looking at their website, but they're all sold out except for, like, smalls and extra, extra larges. So neither one of them really fits me. Um, I will have a Trash Panda shirt. I will get one that does not say Trash Pandas, and I will wear it in public and just hope someone comments on it. It's going to be great. All right. That is my top five best minor league team names. Any disagreements? Any um, uh, honorable mentions? Um. I think you covered it pretty well. I know there isn't there a team called the uh, Chihuahuas. There is. There is the I believe it's the El Paso Chihuahuas, and then the other one that I had um, contemplated adding to the list here is the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. That's a good name. Tasty. Yeah, I know, right? I I was. I decided not to do that one because I couldn't do two food ones because I was hungry. Like, that couldn't be the reason. Uh, to be, I probably would have put them at four, but I don't think they would have beat the uh, Trash Pandas, Sod Poodles, or Rumble Ponies. Um, but they could have potentially taken the place of the Flying Squirrels because that is kind of just a 
normal animal. Um, yeah, that's my top five. All right, so um, any closing comments, closing arguments for the evening, Gotham? I hope we got you hyped for the minor league season. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking about these prospects when they do make their major league debuts. And we will talk to you next time. Yes, we will. And next time, like I mentioned, I will have a guest host uh, in my buddy, or, well, our buddy, Matthew. Um, Gautam is being selfish and going on vacation. Um, I'll try and make sure that my camera doesn't go out of focus. I, that's my fault for trying to show a card. So I learned my lesson. I won't do that again. Um, but yes, yeah, so we'll be back here next week. Uh, and we hope you join us. So uh, we will be talking next week about um, kind of our ideal expansion for Major League Baseball to 32 teams. So just a small teaser there. So uh, come back and hang out with us next week. And until then, have a good one.